Blog Talk Radio. Hey there, and thanks for listening to the Family Recovery Projects podcast. Join us every week to hear about our mission, why we do what we do, and how we can help your family navigate through the turbulence of getting treatment for a loved one. Stay tuned. Hi, happy Sunday. Welcome to the Family Recovery Project podcast. We are recording a little early again this week. Um, We both have some things going on this evening, so we will set this show to go live this evening uh, around our normal time at 7 o'clock, but we will not be able to take calls. So we hope that you enjoy getting to listen to this and Frank is with us today. Hi, Frank. Hi, Jackie. How are you? I am doing well. How are you? Doing well. Ready to go. Same here. So we had some technical difficulties last week. My my microphone was cutting out, so I'm going to do my best to keep that from happening again this week. Sorry about that, guys. Um, So this week we are talking about suicide and addiction. Frank and I started talking about this recently and found that, you know, there's, there's a lot of information out there about suicide and, and some of the data around it and its link to drug and alcohol use and drug and alcohol dependence, drug and alcohol addiction. And we really wanted to, to talk a little bit about some of the real world stuff that people deal with when they, they have a child, um, who comes to them and says they they don't want to live anymore because that's that unfortunately is something that especially you know I think families who have you know kids that might have mental illness deal with but it's certainly something that families who have kids who are using drugs and alcohol deal with so we just want to talk a little bit about our experience with um suicidal ideations, um, hopelessness, despair, and, you know, what to do if, you, if you're if you faced with someone in your life that feels that way. So, Frank, did you want to kind of start us off? Sure. Uh, I think just in relating to my personal experience, I think that probably the most difficult times when I was uh, going through it was uh, the times that uh, my son would walk out the door and uh, you get kind of that last remark, you know, like, uh, well, wh- you know, what do you give a, 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 a bleep? Uh, you don't care whether I live or die anyway. That's kind of the way that it would start um, mm-hmm. to the direct type of statements where, you know, we'd be trying to have a heart to heart and he would say, well, you know, I, there's just days that I just don't think that life is worth it. You know, they're, they're couched in different terms um, in terms of not being about happy you know, in their own life and their own skin, um, that something is really bothering them at that point where they're expressing that uh, the ideas. And I think that the problem that I had was I didn't really know who to turn to, or even mm-hmm. if I should, because I at at that point after the the getting over the original and initial betrayal of the lies and things that continue to go along with uh, the you know substance abuse. Um, I just always wondered if it was being, if I was being played or manipulated again. And mm-hmm. I, I did feel that way um, until I ended up in a critical care unit watching 
and hoping and praying that uh, my son was going to stay with me. Uh, and so it, it, it changed my tune and it, it changed, you know, the way that I had to relate to it. And, then, and it was, it was, it wasn't something that I just lived through on my own. As the year started to pass, I heard more and more parents talk about th- this issue. Um, mm-hmm. Some of us, that, some of us that did end up in an ICU and were, you know, we were able to ad- avert disaster with the help of the medical uh, staff and technicians that you know that keep your child alive and to give them a chance to come back uh, to those that don't ever get that opportunity uh, to be able to reconcile what was going on. And I have to be honest in saying that it's not a subject that um, I that my son and I talk about uh, in terms of what that final motivation was for him on that day that he made a decision to do that um, mm-hmm. because it's kind of behind us now, but I still would like to try to find out why so that we could help other parents to see those signs because I, I had no signal. I mean, I had all the, the comments before, but I, on that particular day, I had no idea. So right. either I missed a cue or I missed a message. I, I, I don't know. I just know that it's something that I think about a lot and I do talk to parents about uh, because when they hear it, they don't know who to turn to either. Uh, and I know yeah. that uh, when you were uh, in a clinical atmosphere, uh, you, you had to deal with it in a way that you were, you know, you had to follow protocol, you know, based on licensing and things of that nature. And for parents, we don't have that. You know, if we, if we hear something, we don't know how to react. Do I call somebody or do I not? You know, so I think that mm-hmm. initially, just to kind of broach and give you an opportunity to speak, I think that, you know, my perspective, and I'll talk about a little bit more about this later, about how it's important to take it seriously. And by seriously, we can get into some of those things about how we feel and the myths and everything that's around what's swirling around our lives. So, um, but, but I know that uh, if, uh, the only thing I would say right now is that if you do have that type of ideation or that kind of thought going and you do have your child in treatment, it's important to let the treatment professional know first off so that mm-hmm. you can start get some help on that day-to-day equipment, you know, intensive outpatient residential, whatever's going on, that you can start to kind of get that type of help. And then I'll kind of kick it to you right now. And I know there's some data that you were able to find to kind of help us to gain some perspective about how prevalent this, you know, uh, issue is, you know, with the, uh, with the substance abuse. Mm-hmm. Right. So I have experience with it from many different angles <laughs> from, you know, friends of mine when I was younger um, trying to commit suicide or talking about committing suicide. And I know, you know, we talked a little bit about this yesterday. I know, you know, I was not a happy kid. And especially when I started drinking and using drugs when I was a teenager, um, I definitely remember there being times where I, I genuinely felt like, I just didn't want to deal with life anymore. I didn't want to go on. And I would, you know, I would kind of think about suicide because I had known, you know, I knew someone who had committed suicide and I would kind of think about, you know, whether or not that was actually an option. It was never something that I, I ever wholeheartedly wanted to go through with, but I do remember, you know, and, and now looking back, of course, 
it feels a little dramatic, <laughs> you know, because I was 15, right. 16, and, like, I just can't deal with life anymore. Um, and, you know, with some of the stuff I've dealt with since then, I'm like, wow, I really had I had nothing to worry about then. But that doesn't mean that it, it didn't feel real to me at the time because it really, really did. And, you know, having had that experience myself, I think that gave me a little bit more compassion for people that felt that way because, you know, I remember there being a lot of what I would hear about that was that it was, it was manipulation, you know, and, and if someone was saying they wanted to kill themselves or they wanted to die, they were just trying to quote unquote, just trying to get attention or, um, you know, trying to get someone to do something that they wanted and and I really would kind of go yeah but I I remember feeling that way and and it felt real to me you know so later on down the line when you know I was a treatment professional I was working in the field and people would say those things to me I think it was a lot less shocking to me because I had been there and felt that way and I could kind of understand and have compassion now, that didn't mean that I didn't take every single one of those situations very seriously. And I, and, and I do want to say, you know, um, kind of from the beginning, that if someone does come to you and say they just don't want to live anymore or they're actually thinking about committing suicide, you as the person who is receiving this information can call the suicide prevention hotline. Um, you know, they they will talk you through how to handle someone else feeling that way. Even if you can't get that person to call, you can call. And that's at least a place to start, you know. Right. Um, and they actually, the if you Google, you know, Suicide Prevention Hotline, they actually have a website and um, that has a lot of really good information and some great resources for, you know, what to do and risk factors and, and what some of the early signs could be. Um, if anyone does want to educate themselves on that and, and kind of have some information at hand that they feel like that's something they're concerned about with a loved one. But I do, you know, first and foremost, anytime I talk to anyone about, you know, dealing with someone who is suicidal, um, I, I say you, you take it seriously every single time because, like you said, you just never know. You know, you never know if the person is – whether they are being manipulative or not doesn't matter because in my experience, if someone is is verbalizing things like that, there's something wrong no matter what. <laughs> Even if they are using it as a manipulation tool, that's a, that's a pretty heavy hammer to sling, you know, and right. there's a reason why they feel that strongly about whatever it is you know, they're trying to manipulate you into, or there's something going on that that's, that's kind of their, their, you know, where they go to try to get what they want. And I think all of those, those issues at, in some way need to be addressed. So first and foremost, (laughs) that would be my, my advice to anyone who might find themselves in that situation is, um, you know, you got to take it seriously. And I think you call, you know, your, 
uh, the suicide hotline or some police stations have, you know, like a local number you can call and they'll, they'll talk you through it too. Um, but yeah, I just, I don't think it's something to mess around with. So, so all of that being said, you know, I think it's, it's, I think it's especially difficult for people who've never felt that way before and, and have never felt like they just can't, they can't deal with life and they don't feel like they can go on. Um, so hearing someone say those things to them, I, I think it's, it's, it makes sense how we've gotten to a place where people, you know, especially who don't understand can go, well, I think they're just trying to manipulate me or, or, you know, they can look at this person's life and go, it's, they're, you know, everything's fine. Like their life, you know, anyone looking at me from the outside when I was 15 or 16 years old, would go, what is she complaining about? <laughs> you know, I mean, I had, right. I had a good life, you know, I had good parents and, and I had, you know, I was in school and I was doing well. And, but when you're the person who's feeling that way, none of that stuff may matter. And you may have lost complete perspective on what's real because you've become so, you know, maybe sucked into some inner turmoil that, you know, a 40, 45 year old parent may look at a 16 year old and say, you know, what kind of inner turmoil could you possibly have? You're 15, but to the 15 year old, it feels like a big enough of a deal, you know? Um, So I, you know, I definitely think that's what, that, that can create some distance because, you know, there, there just might be parents who have never been through feeling that way. And they have a hard time getting their head around how their child that they feel like they provide for and have done a lot of good things for is, is not wanting to go on with life. Right. And, and I think you know. the one thing that, that I found lacking for me as a parent was that there really wasn't a lot of, there wasn't a big body of work that was actually studying the connection between substance abuse and suicide. Um, right. Because, you know, right right now, as we were talking, you know, the American Medical Association, American Psychiatric Association, you know, and all are all talking about how somebody that's abusing drugs um, is six times more likely than a normal person to, um, you know, attempt suicide, you know, after they go through the ideation um uh, and the way that it's defined clinically is then they then put together a plan and they act on a plan. Um, you know, the majority of, of people of all ages, and, and especially young people, um, even if they get to a planning stage, a uh, vast, vast majority, you know, clearly over 90% will never try to do anything to inflict any self-injury. Um, mm-hmm. Only within the last decade, decade and a half that we really have had um, you know, people like the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration actually, you know, put calls out to, to try to figure out where that correlation is because the assumption before was is that my son always had, you know, an underlying condition, you know, mm-hmm. something that was a dual diagnosis. Um, in my situation, it was actually the psychotropics that they gave him off-label that helped facilitate that thinking in his mind because it hadn't been approved for anybody under 18 at that time. So, you know, there's a lot of different, everybody has a little kind of different circumstances and things and how you kind of got to that point where you might hear those things. 
Um, mm-hmm. But I think that, you know, if, you know, for parents that are in, in this fight right now, uh, you know, you really have to take into consideration the fact that some of the, the theoretical underpinnings for the data collection are based on things, based, you know, based on a mental health condition, depression, bipolar, um, you know, et cetera, and are not really considering. We, we know that there's a correlation with drugs because once somebody actually is, um, they, you know, when they die from an attempt and they do toxicology and things, they, they typically a lot of times will find, you know, in over half the, the situations they find alcohol or, you know, some type of poly drug use with something else uh, that's mm-hmm. in their system. But obviously is, is, is a contributing fact to do that, and that's why, you know, your statement about taking this very, very seriously is, is, is absolutely, it's, it's just it's an imperative. Um, mm-hmm. Well, when they make a threat, it may not be towards you, or it, may, it still may be manipulated, but it's still important to make the call. And I right. think it's important to tell to tell your child that you are going to call for help, um, mm-hmm. and not get into confrontation. I think one of the worst things to do is to get in a fight over. No, you're, you know, what are you talking about? You know, getting into that process because it just drags you down. Um, I think one of the things that uh, I was able to kind of glean from my experience with my son was how difficult it was for him to actually even just to be in treatment because the treatment playground is pretty rough. Um, right. You know, the group settings and things, uh, you know, we talked about this in terms of having somebody that needs to be trained to be able to hear these messages and decipher when, um, you know, something needs to be, you know, done or reported not only to parents and, you know, the facility and authorities and everybody else. But um, I remember that I know that I know for a fact that my son was very brutal at times, depending upon what mood he was in and Mm -hmm. probably could help push somebody to have the type of thoughts that we were talking about. Um, Right. And would have to be asked to leave the room or, you know, just, so that he could get whatever he was looking for that day because he just felt like he didn't want to hear it that day. And what the other what the other young person would hear is, is that they are basically worthless and they can't work it out and they just so it's it's a it's a it's a very difficult battleground to negotiate for everybody in there. Uh so yeah. then we end resources and we get my son feeling guilty about his actions and then feeling bad and, you know, remorseful about that and then maybe making a statement based on that, but we don't know. Um, you know, uh, again, you know, they're they're working right now to try to put more data sets to help, uh, more evidence-based, you know, criteria uh, to be able mm-hmm. to, to do it. There's a lot of times when we know this for a fact. I mean, uh, if they go in for assessments, not all treatment centers ask them if they've ever had suicidal thoughts. Uh, they, don't, they don't ask them whether they've made any attempts. Um, right. Because the front side is just to worry about treating with the symptom that's, you know, easily viewable, and that is the consumption of drugs that's take, making their life, you know, unmanageable. Um, right. But part of that process and learning, I think it would be great for parents to know that your child has had those thoughts, not to scare you, but just to know that that's part of that inventory that's going to be dealt with. Um, mm-hmm. Because Because we are told that, you know, it's one of the it's one of the possibilities that's going to happen if they don't get treatment. They're going to die. Um, right. And now that we have a clinical definition that's a progressive disease, 
you know, based on the medical model that if it's not treated, it's going to continue to progress and it's going to get worse and worse until ultimately they will. Um, and right. that's that's now been codified and it's being accepted and that's the new model that's being out there. Um, but I think that it's, it can become very confusing for parents to understand how they fit into this picture. You know, what, what part do they play and when do they when can they make an outside call that is even when they're in treatment? Um, do you call your treatment professional first or do you call suicide hotline first? Um, right. You know, I, I say you make both calls um, to let them right. know. Yeah. It's really, really important to make that call to that lifeline um, yeah. because they do have a lot out there. They may not have an understanding of what the drugs are doing, but at least it's a start. Right. Because I think that, uh, you know, we're still, we always lag about a year or two behind, but in 2013, um, there were almost a half a million emergency room visits for um, self-injury, um, which is what, as you yeah. know, Centers for Disease Control calls calls a suicide attempt. Um, you know, we had in that year, uh, according to the National Survey of Mental Health and, and, and Drug Use, um, 17% of kids that were in high school uh, and these are grades 9 through 12, had seriously considered suicide in the previous 12 months. Now, that could be a result of a, a number of different things. Again, we don't know, but what we do know statistically is this is what's being reported. Um, we know that over 20% were females and about 10% were males, but young ma- males are more successful when they do try to attempt it. Um, mm-hmm. So knowing just a little bit about it, can help you to get a better understanding of what your child is actually going through because as a parent, you know your child more, you know, you know them better and can be more proactive. Um, there are a lot of families that I have recommended and sent through emergency room departments that have a behavioral unit associated with them because if you take your child to an emergency room and they don't have a behavioral unit there or behavioral specialists that are available, you're going to kind of pay for an emergency room visit, but you're not going to get any help with respect to making a decision as to whether or not there's real, you know, imminent danger right at that point. Because right. they're going to probably get, they're going to get a med to settle them down, and then you're going to have to go somewhere else. So uh, the suicide hotlines are really good at knowing where those resources are at. Um, yeah. And can kind of direct you to a, a unit that's going to be able to help get them the immediate assessment that they need based on having a mental health professional in addition to the, the medical side, uh, both present at the same time, if you if, if a parent perceives that type of danger. Uh, but just right. going to a regular emergency room without that behavioral unit, um, I can tell you, uh, based on experience and talking with other parents, is, is really not going to get you where you need to be that day. Uh, so, that again, you know, just a just a, a, as a caution, and uh, knowing what right. you want to get done and what you're dealing with, you know, go to the place that's going to give you the help, not not a referral. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, a lot of, and there's also a oh, lot of ahead. myths. You know, talk about it. I mean, I don't. You know, one myth is is that people, and again, I think as a parent, I used to think that if my son would even think about suicide, that he was mentally ill. Um, because right. I believe in that myth that you have to be mentally ill to think about suicide. I mean, there, 
um, r- right now the scary part, and we hear it, is that, that the way that the press and the media sensationalizes a lot of these uh, uh, unfortunate deaths is the fact that, um, you know, they kind of play to that fear in us that uh, it, it can happen at any time. Um, right. But when they start to talk about the backside of it and what drove them, a celebrity or whoever else to do it. But we, we now with social media, uh, one of the fears that parents have that are living with, uh, in addition to the fact that 12-year-olds are being approached to use drugs now, uh, at least today, um, is the bullying. Um, right. That social media presence and things that cause this type of ideation. And it may be that they've already had a drink or maybe tried a drug to deal with it before. It's just a lot of times we don't know. So, it, again, it's being aware and being in contact with your child. Um, right. That's going to make the biggest difference. It's going to make the biggest difference. I agree. And, and you know, at the same time, I do think, because I know that the person that I knew that committed suicide when I was younger um, nobody had any idea. I mean, nobody had any idea how hard of a time they were having. I mean, I, I know his parents um, knew that he was, you know, having a hard time going through some emotional stuff, you know. I, I mean, I think they understood that, but at no point did they ever feel like it was so bad that he would end his life. I mean, it, it really was a total shock to everyone. Um, and, and, you know, unfortunately hindsight is always twenty twenty. and there were things that I, I know his parents and some of their close friends looked back on and went, Oh, well maybe, you know, we should have asked more questions here or there or whatever. But I also think, um, you know, sometimes, you know, one of the, the statistics I've heard a lot about suicide is that sometimes when people, make that decision when, when they settle on, okay, I'm going to end my life. They actually feel some relief and can seem happy for weeks or even months before they actually take the action, um, which can be very unsettling because if anyone was concerned about them, they might misconstrue like, Oh, they seem better. So nothing to worry about. You know, I do, I do definitely think there may be times where there's just nothing anybody can do, which I think is what's so heartbreaking about, about, you know, the, the fact that people do get so down and, and feel so hopeless that that, that's a decision that they make is, you know, sometimes it can just be, I mean, there, there's just nothing to be done, (laughs) you know, which is, one of the hardest parts about it. Um, But I definitely think from our perspective and, and being a resource for parents who have, you know, children who are in treatment or looking for treatment um, or have just gotten out of treatment, you know, that, that what we really want to say here today is that there are resources and there are things you can do if there's something that has been verbalized. Um, but definitely not that you know, uh, you know that that everybody that if if it has happened or you know someone that's happened to there there really may not have been any outward signs, which is I'm I'm sure that's scary to think about, <laughs> but but I think it's important to note um, 
that it, it ultimately is a very personal decision that people make. And, you know, I think everyone does their best to, to be there for their children. Um, and there are definitely, you know, if, if you do pick up on signs that that's going on with your kid, there are preventative measures you can take and there are people that you can call. And like you said, you know, making sure you're, you're really checking in with your kid and you really know what's going on with them. And, um, and it's tough, you know, you brought up social media um, and I can't imagine, you know, what it would be like for a parent to have a child who was active on social media and not know what's going on. You know, I know a lot of parents who they monitor their children's social media activity for that reason, because of the kind of bullying stuff that can happen. Um, And I, I 100% support that. (laughs) When I was there, there was no social media when I was a teenager and I probably would have been very unhappy with my parents monitoring my social media, but um, I think it probably would have been for the best. (laughs) So I would definitely, you know, support parents who do that because I think, I think you have to, I think it's the equivalent of, you know, when I was a kid and I would come home from school and say, Hey, you know, so-and-so wants me to spend the night at their house. My mom would say, that's great. I need to talk to their parents first. You know, it's, it's kind of the equivalent of that, which I never liked, but looking back, I'm grateful that my mom cared enough to, to know where I was going to be and who I was going to be with and that it was important to her to know that I would be safe and, and taken care of. You know, so uh, it, it it really is a very complicated world for our youth out there because I don't think, that, yeah. as you said, I mean, you know, social media was not available uh, even when you were younger. Uh, it was, gosh, you know, when I was in, uh, going to high school, I mean, the internet um, was just in its beginning days, also. And mm-hmm. I think the one thing that that uh, is difficult for me to comprehend is, is that, as you know, I mean, my, my phone line's always burning up because I'm blowing up somebody's phone somewhere. Uh, it's like, you know, I want to know where that ratio came from. I want to know why they're, they're able to tell us that, that, uh, if. Oh, it looks like we lost Frank. Well, he will call back and be back with us. On that note, what we just kind of left off with, uh, talking about social media and, and parents, you know, keeping an eye on their kids, I think that would be a great, um, you know, topic for, you know, if you have a local parent group that you attend or um, in, in some way. Oh, there's Frank. He's back with us. Hi, Frank. Um, I kind of picked about up that, where, that's okay. okay. I picked up where you left off and was talking about um, how a great topic for discussion if anyone's in kind of a local parent group or, um, you know, or something to bring up with if if their child is in treatment, um, how much to monitor their social networking and um, just kind of activities in general, you know, because you you do have to find that fine line between being, you know, watching them every moment and and them feeling like you trust them, you know. Um, So, Great stuff for discussion, I, but you you go ahead I, and finish was, with your thought. <laughs> no, I was going to say it was it was really difficult for me when I had that feeling of being manipulated. At the same mm-hmm. time, trying to figure out where my space was because 
I, I, you know, I didn't know whether I needed to be a friend or a parent or a combination. And, and I think that what I learned ultimately in the end, after a little bit of trial and error, uh, was that I needed to be a parent first. And right. it, it was really harder to do that. Uh, but in the end, my son told me, he goes, I was really glad that you stuck with me and that you made a decision to be my parent and not my friend. Um, yeah. Because... If I would have been his friend, I would have been able to buy in more to what he was selling me as opposed to having to make a decision to take that hurt, uh, take, that, take the, the punch to the gut, as it were, uh, and and just tell him and just say, look, I mean, I, I need to know where you are. I need to know who you're going to be with, uh, and I need to know why. Um, mm-hmm. So if I, if I don't have a phone number, and it got to the point with me where it's if I hadn't met the other parent, I mean, face to face, not on the telephone. Right. I just would refuse, and he'd, he'd get angry. Um, but it was one of those things because it, it, it really created more confusion. I mean, he's using drugs. I'm paying tens of thousands of dollars to, you know, keep him out of jail and, and doing all these other behaviors. And at the same time, whenever he would want to go somewhere, and I'd say no, he'd, he'd flip out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but I, I just I just know that parents have that inner strength to be able to say no, um, to be able right. to articulate why. Um, but as you know, I mean, kids really love to negotiate everything anyway. Um, right. But when when they're using, I mean, it's just over the top. I mean, they'll 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 wear you down over a weekend to get out for two hours right. somewhere. And right. I just think at that moment where, um, you know, those limits here, and that's when you start to hear that. Well, if you really love me, if you really cared about me, and my life sucks and it's just not worth living, you know, at those moments, um, that's when you're like, need to stand up and just say, okay, well, you know, if I, I, you know, if you're really thinking about doing harm to yourself, let's go. We're going now. Right. I'm going right. to call. They're going to be waiting for us. Um, and you set limits. And I didn't do that with my son early on. It was easier for me to help another parent to understand why it was more important. Um, their kid was in the car, and they were going to an emergency department that had behavioral, that had a, uh, you know, with a little bit of calling on my end of it. There was a, a psychiatric MD or, or, you know, clinical psychologist that was available when they got there. They might spend four to six hours there, but they would at least know that, as a, as the child anyway, or, your, or or the kid would understand that how seriously you took that type of talk, right? Um, and it would change it changed their dialogue and changed their relationship going forward. Uh, and if they were in treatment, then it gave the treatment specialist something to work with um, in their individual sessions um, because it's a very private situation. It's not something that you want to have like pop up and root somewhere. Um, right to give them an opportunity to be able to learn how to deal with that type of ideation. Because uh, like you were saying earlier, when you're 15, 16 years old, it's really easy to think that life is really, really unfair, and it's just not worth yeah. it. It's not so much about wanting to die. It's just that it's not the life that you want to live. And right. that's what that's the lesson that we need to tell. But if, if they're high every night, you got to try to get that message in there somewhere that if if that's not the life you want to live, then what is the life that you want to live and how do we get there and how can I help you? Um, Right. 
but not to not to give them a free pass if they say and and they make statements like that that are going to scare you. Um, right. And in fact, may lead. One one thing we do know, Jackie, is a lot of people do. The majority of people do say something before they make an attempt. Mm-hmm. Um, it's unfortunate because with even with the limited resources that we do have, it's generally enough to kind of get people out of that mindset. Um, right. And it's important to, to call their bluff. Um, you, you know, you, you really do have to make that call. Um, right. As difficult as it is, and, and you may have a really, really angry child in the car with you, um, but it helps to set up, like I say, it changes that level of communication. It allows a parent to show how much they love and care for their child and also to right. help them understand that you're willing to go to um, whatever clinical resources you need to to find a way to help them understand why they feel that way. Um, yeah. So yeah. In, in, a, in some sense, I think it helps. I mean, I, I, I came to uh, treatment after a, you know, an almost successful attempt. Um, but my head was so twisted um, at that point because of the pharmacology that uh, I didn't know who to trust after that. And it was right. a, a parent group and a group of professionals that really got me thinking in a different way. I'm just saying, I mean, you couldn't, it wasn't because I really felt like I had done my job. I should have seen what was, I should have seen what was going to happen Right. Uh, even even in that, even with that talk and even with the attempt, I still took the, the responsibility for what ultimately happened. Um, right. And I was one of the lucky. I was one of the lucky ones. I, I got I got to walk out with my son. Um, there are right. parents that don't, and and I think that that's why it's so important for me. And I don't mean to be redundant, but um, is to take control, um, not to fight, not to argue. It's just to be a parent and say, look, based on what I'm hearing and based on what my gut instinct is right now, this is what's going to happen, like, now. Right. Um, there's no there's no negotiating this point anymore. Um, and yep. it's, you have to be careful because you need help because you don't want to drive them underground either. And that's the importance of finding the help that, that we need um, when we just literally have no more resources left. Um, right. We do, we do have our love and caring, and that's probably the biggest thing that we can convey to our child at that time is based on that is why I'm doing this. Um, right. And like I said, there's really, there's really no other option for, for me in the way that I think about it because it's just too, it's just too dangerous of a situation to kind of like, okay, well, let's see how you feel in a couple of hours. Or right. you'll feel better tomorrow. <laughs> uh, it, it doesn't work yeah. that way. Right. Well, and I think, you know, we've talked a lot about um, a lot of why we are doing what we're doing with the Family Recovery Project and trying to provide a place where people can come to get those kind of resources is because the world of addiction and treatment and recovery can be so isolating for people um, because all of a sudden they have this, this problem that they can't just go talk about with their boss or you know, at the HOA meeting. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's really, really private. And for a lot of families, it may be something that they've never experienced. You know, um, I know in my family, we, we'd had some, you know, other family members that had had problems with alcohol that had sought help. So, um, you know, my parents were 
had a, had a little bit of, of an understanding and a little bit of experience and knew what calls to make at least, you know, and had some, some support from people who had kind of been there, but there are a lot of families who just don't have that. And I think um, this issue, I think suicide and having a kid who is suicidal or is, you know, sounds like they may be getting there is even more isolating. It's, I mean, it's definitely not, you know, you don't go in to work Monday morning and your coworker says, Hey, what'd you do this weekend? You don't go, Oh, well I was, you know, in the ICU with my son because he tried to commit suicide. Like that's just not something people want to talk about <laughs> openly and get right, support right. on. And, um, and that's really what we are trying to provide for people, you know, because I, you said it and I've been thinking it this whole time that we've been talking that it, it can leave a parent, especially if we're talking about a single parent, you know, um, cause my mom was a single parent. My dad was, involved as much as he could be but he wasn't he didn't live with us and he couldn't be you know as involved as my mom but I know she felt you know it was really scary for her because she felt very alone um having to deal with with me and and I, I can't imagine what a difference it would have made for her had she known about something like this you know somewhere where she could go get online and you know click suicide prevention or, you know, feelings of hopelessness or whatever into a search bar and come up with a bunch of information and phone numbers, you know, places she could call. I mean, that just would have made such a difference for her and I'm sure many other families. And ultimately that's, that's what we're trying to provide. And, 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 you know, for me, and and I'm pretty sure I can speak for you too, is, is I want that to become kind of normal you know I want it to be I want I want people to always feel like if this is an issue that comes up in my life I have somewhere I can go you know I have easy access to a a resource that will help help answer my questions and point me in the right direction you know yeah because the alternative is is to choose actually not to to do anything or to try to deal with it in the same way and it's still kind of yielding that same result. Um, but I just really quickly want to say that the uh, a, a, a good first number to, or to search for is just the National Suicide um, Prevention Hotline or Lifeline um, that's run by SAMHSA, and they do refer locally. And so for, for families that feel like they don't have the resources, they can direct families to uh, resources that are either free uh, or cost-effective. Um, not everybody has insurance, so there should not be an excuse not to deal with the issue that we've got on the table today, um, because there are groups out there that are willing to help, um, and they're willing to help you right now, um, you know, yeah. to get the information that your mom might have needed, uh, information that I should have been looking for, um, because I, I, I absolutely missed it. And I don't mean to be evangelical about that call for action, but it is just something that needs to be uh, something that we would honor and and and, and you know can, and, and hold and hold in the in, in, in the best of confidence and you know not uh, you know building data on our part or whatever. It's just a matter of wanting to make sure that we are here for families when they need us, um, yeah. as these as the other the lifelines are uh, too. They're standing by them and they're typically 24/7. So. Um, if you're confused and your child is making these kind of statements, you know, like I said, you know, my best advice is to, you know, get online, ask for some help, get get an idea of what you're going to do next, uh, just to just to make sure. 
Yes, and um, I actually the have it pulled up. The National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is 24-7. Um, it's, you know, www.suicidepreventionlifeline.org, and their 800 number is 800-273-8255. If anyone listening to this feels like that's a call they need to make immediately, um, please feel free to do so. So thanks for another great episode, Frank. I think that that was awesome. And we will be back next week, next weekend, next Sunday. And I think we're going to be talking a little bit about letting go, huh? Is that what we talked about? Yeah, I think it's time to start another very complex subject, and we'll broach that subject. Uh, and then please look for uh, our post this week. That'll that'll be a follow-up to our conversation today, uh, in which I'll have resources and some phone numbers to uh, have on uh, our website at uh, www.familyrecovery.com. Uh, we'll list some resources for you if you need those. And then we're always available to reach out to either Jacqueline or myself at the Family Recovery uh, Project.com. Um, and with that, Jackie, I'll let you wrap us up. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody, and we will talk to you next week.